we are entering into a new series. Very excited about it. It's called Common Tables. And we're really going to look at the meals of Jesus. And it's taken primarily from the book of Luke, looking at the different meals that Jesus had and what are the implications for those meals in our lives today. Uh, So it's going to be a really great series. Um, There's even going to be prompts each week for us to live this out. And really, how can we see the kingdom of God at work in our everyday lives around the meals that we enjoy and share? You know, I was just thinking about this. My husband, John, and I had dinner last night with our dear friends, Kurt and Kathy. And we're sitting around outside, and we all just agreed, you know what? Eating together is just better. It's just better. It's just good. And so, again, I'm excited personally about this series, and I just think it's such a unique take, right, looking at the meals of Jesus. When I first heard of this, I'm like, I don't know if I've ever heard that concept in church before. So very excited about how God's going to speak to us through that. And as you guys know, we move into the second portion of our gathering that we call the lament. And it's really when we look at and struggle with the brokenness in the world, and in particular, the brokenness in our own lives. And so throughout this series, we've invited writers to um, come up and share what they've written about a particular meal experience that they've had based on a prompt of the week. And so uh, this week, Aaron Kewen is going to come and share with us. So welcome, Aaron. And again, we're just glad you're here today. Thanks for being here. When I was asked to describe a meal at which I was uncomfortable or awkward, I didn't have to think very hard. Several experiences popped into my mind where I had meals with the deaf community when I was learning sign language or a meal where I showed up and I didn't know anyone, a meal where you're only gathered because someone has died, or a meal where you're filled totally out of your price bracket, like 15 years ago when Joel and I had the eye conversation at Ruth's Chris, do we get up and leave now or not? Um, so thinking through all of these and a slew of other experiences, the common thread was my mind chatter and that my mind chatter was on overdrive. So that's where we're headed um, as I share a glimpse into my mind. In, out, breathe. Questions to ask? Check. Let's do this. Quick eyes, hand sweats, straight posture as a mask. Disguise, inner recoil. Oh, jeez. Smirk. Sigh. How does she do this? What am I going to say on this? Rip. Pain, unexpected. Do I have the language to speak to these people? Turn, twist, hide. Play it cool, inner tornado of devastation. Review, suck, is how I'm sitting showing my tummy rolls. Sip, savor. Chomp. Am I eating too much? Holding this the right way? Left. Sizzle. Crash. I used the wrong fork. Said 
the wrong thing. Pace, pace, pace. This will end. Netflix and pajamas are soon to be mine. (laughs) Pop, rejoice, eye contact. You too? I can breathe. We're doing this. We're connecting. Awkward. Quiet. Wide eyes? Inappropriate reference TMI. Releases the awkward air in the room. Cool, stiff, concrete. Norms established. Literally nowhere to go. Step, shake, slide. Insert awkward dance here. Crackle, rip, exposed. Oh, I just brought that up? Does she want to talk about that? Polished, smooth, pristine. Is that how you pronounce Jacoma, Hickama? I can never get it right. Stumble, silence, sigh. Who cares? Be me. I'm so glad I'm not on social media. Giggle, laugh, gasp. I don't know anything that's going on. Meals. Some of our best memories are around meals. Some of our worst memories revolve around meals. I can remember meals where I wanted to hide or bolt out the door, and I remember some of those meals that I wish would never end. I think perhaps, besides my wedding, the best meal I've ever experienced was in Italy. I was right before moving here to Charlotte, actually. My friends and I, uh, with Steph and I and a couple friends, we went to Tuscany, and we stayed at a working olive farm and winery in Tuscany. It's called Due Piani. And during check-in, we were sipping wine with the owner because there's time to do that during check-in. And we had a wonderful time. And right before check-in was about to end, he said, oh, the place is yours. Please enjoy yourself. Anything you see. There's one thing I need to mention. My nephew's getting confirmed on Sunday morning. And we're going to have a family dinner here on Sunday night. I'm really sorry for the inconvenience. You're more than welcome to join us. It's like, are you kidding me? That is an offer I cannot refuse. And I'm so glad I didn't because in the afternoon, here are these long tables, right, set up in the shade of this villa. And the whole family had gathered from infants to 90-year-olds. And as each course came out, you know, this stuff was grown and harvested within eyesight, pretty much everything that we were eating. The wine had been made 30 feet away in that barn over there. And uh, it was amazing and yet, it was kind of just taken for granted. Like, yes, of course food is this good. And, and the point where the relationships and the people there enjoying that meal together, pretty soon after a few courses, the teenagers were off dancing to some horrible American pop music. Um, and the old lady across from me had fallen dead asleep. And I, didn't, I don't really know Italian, so I was trying to get by. But 
I found after three, four hours that I was feeling just incredibly satisfied. Of course, my stomach was full. That was good. But I was feeling socially satisfied. I was feeling uh, culturally enriched. I was feeling aesthetically satisfied, spiritually even. It's hard to describe that meal and, and what it meant for me. And as I thought about it, I've realized this is one way of telling my life story, actually, through meals. I can look at the meals in the most celebratory times of my life, you know, weddings and family reunions and travel adventures, but I can also tell my life story through those meals in the bad times of my life, and at the funerals and the moments of a breakup or lonely evenings. Not only that, but just all these regular meals that make up this huge chunk of our lives. We spend about 10% of our waking hours eating and drinking. These are our lives. And, and so it, it should come as no surprise that when, when we look at God's story, as revealed in the Bible, meals are everywhere. It's one way of tying the story together. We can see the story begins with a meal that Adam and Eve ate of fruit from a forbidden tree, and then way at the end of the story, we've got this wedding feast in the new heavens and new earth, and everywhere in between, there are these meals that drive the story forward. You can think about the Passover meal that the Hebrew people ate right before God sent them out of Egypt, and that they ate every year after that. You could think about the meal of manna that God provided every single morning as they journeyed through the wilderness. And then the food festivals and the food sacrifices that constituted their lives given by God through the law. And then when we get to the Newer Testament and the meals of Jesus, that's our focus in this series. We see Jesus eating with all of these surprising people in surprising ways. He got meals with sinners, his, his last supper, the breakfast on the beach after rising again. And then as the story continues, there's the common, common communion meal of the early church which form the core of the church's worship and mission. There's meals everywhere. Big, big special meals and mundane everyday meals. And we're going to look at those meals during the series and see what we can learn there about God and about Jesus. Particularly, these meals of Jesus are significant because Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus came to embody God and to accomplish his mission among us and for us. And a lot of that had to do with meals. So we're hoping to understand Jesus and his mission, and then we're hoping to inhabit that same mission ourselves in our everyday lives. And so I want to ask, what if we reimagined our everyday meals as one of our core opportunities to love God and love our neighbors? What if a big part of making disciples and making culture is this simple practice of making meals and sharing meals with the people we love? Today we're going to dive in with the first recorded meal in Luke. There are nine of them. The first one is in Luke 5, verses 27 to 32. It's going to be up on the screen, but you might want to turn there in a translation you prefer, and and ask you to stand as well as we read this. Please stand with me. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. 
Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's God's word to us today. Thanks be to him. As always, context is king, and without really understanding the context here, you might think, well, what's the big deal? Why are people getting so upset that Jesus is eating with these people? Well, the gist of the context, there's a lot, but in terms of meals, meals were a big deal in first century Palestine, more so than today. In that culture, meals were the epicenter of social, economic, even spiritual life. Common meals were about making business connections and configuring social status and discussing the latest ideas and even participating in religious ceremonies. So there was a real sense in this culture that you are or you were with whom you ate. We all know that we are what we eat, but how often do we consider that we are with whom we eat? One theologian has said, reflecting on Jesus, that doing lunch was doing theology. You might add, doing lunch was doing mission. Doing lunch was doing identity. It was so wrapped up in who you were that meals were super significant. I don't think it's true to the same extent today, but it is true to a certain extent that the way that we, the people that we eat with, confer a sense of identity on our lives and, and give us a sense of purpose. Uh, how many of you had or currently have an experience of eating in a lunchroom at school? Raise your hand if you've had this experience. Most of you. How many of you would say that was a good experience, eating in the lunchroom at school? Some of you, not many. Oh, dear. It probably does not come as a surprise to most of you that uh, I ate with the nerdy crowd at my school. (laughs) In junior high and high school, I was eating with the theater people and the speech people and the knowledgeable people. I was not eating with the football players and the cheerleaders. I was, not, I was also not eating with the people that we all knew were lighting up at the hockey rink between periods uh, because I knew I wasn't cool enough or I didn't want to be embarrassed because I wasn't cool enough you know, with the football crowd and I didn't want to be guilty uh, by association with like, the druggy crowd. So there I, there I was. We are with whom we eat. And look, no one expected Jesus to be going to a meal like this. Nobody. With a bunch of tax collectors and sinners, as the text says. Why? Because Jesus was a leader among the Jewish people. People for whom eating was a big deal. Lots of rules around eating. And so let's look at the people that Jesus was eating with. Tax collectors. Tax collectors at that time were known as cheaters and traitors. Cheaters because they would collect the tax and a heavy sum for themselves on top of it. And then traitors because they were working for Rome. Many of these tax collectors were Jewish, but they were working for the enemy. The occupiers who were 
leveraging these taxes to expand their empire. So you're a cheater and you're a traitor, according to the Jews, if you're a tax collector. And, and not only that, it says that Jesus was eating with others or, or sinners. Uh, a label that refers broadly to Gentiles of, of various vocations, non-Jewish people who were also at this dinner party. And so not, and not only did uh, Jews at that time, a lot of them considered Gentiles to be outside the scope of God's plan, but it was virtually impossible for a faithful Jew to eat with Gentiles. Again, because of all the rules, because of all the things they could not eat and the way they had to eat that, um, to go to a Gentile's house to eat a very risky thing. And so why were the Jewish leaders so upset? Well, because if Jesus was eating with corrupt Jewish traitors and sinful Gentiles, then how in the world could he remain clean and faithful? If he really was a prophet and a rabbi, how could he eat with such people and remain true to his mission? Well, maybe it was his mission. Maybe there was a misunderstanding of his mission. There was. Jesus said what his mission was in verses 31 and 32. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So if that's what he came for, then what we're seeing is that before he could do anything for these people, Jesus had decided to be with these people. And the best way to do that is to share meals with them. Let's talk about the misunderstanding. Three different times Jesus explained his mission, starting with the phrase, the Son of Man came to dot, dot, dot. Son of Man is a phrase from the, the prophecy of Daniel, and the Jews were expecting the Son of Man to come with great authority and great power to be the ruler over the nation and to expel all enemies. That was the expectation. And he was going to do that for the Jews. But look at how Jesus describes his mission. The Son of Man came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. 180 degrees different than what people were expecting. Let's zero in on the eating and drinking part. Well, here's one way of summarizing those three statements. Jesus came to make lost people God's companions. Jesus came to make lost people God's companions. He didn't come to be with people who already thought they were God's companions. He came to serve people who either didn't have any concept of what it meant to be God's companion or didn't think they ever had a chance to become God's companion. Jesus came to make it possible. I use the word companion on purpose. It's a compound word from the Latin meaning with bread. Companis. Companion. So to be God's companion is to be someone who eats with God. To be God's companion is to be a friend who eats. And that was Jesus' purpose. The whole trajectory of the whole story, all of God's story, is to gather people in who can feast with God. That's what the story is about. Reunification, reconciliation, and feasting. And when we look at how Jesus accomplished that mission, then we can see why it's important not to jump immediately to Jesus' death. 
A lot of people do that, say Jesus came to die. Well, yes, that was very important that he fulfilled the scriptures in that way. Jesus died for the lost, and by doing so, gave the lost hope that they could have life and life eternal. But this is so critical. Before Jesus died for the lost, he died with the lost. This is so significant for lots of reasons. One reason is Jesus was committed to be with these people before he did anything for them. All of these things influence our own mission, by the way. Being with comes before doing. And it showed that Jesus was interested in these relationships, present relationships with people, not just their future destinies. And it reveals that the point of Jesus coming and eventually dying and rising again was to make it possible for people like me and people like you to be God's companion and feast with him forever. That's the point of Jesus' coming. And it's amazing. I mean, it doesn't matter. If you look at the people Jesus spent time with, it didn't matter what their background was. It didn't matter how messed up their current life was. And the same is true for us. It doesn't matter. In fact, it matters because those are exactly the kinds of people God wants, that he chooses to pursue, the lost people, the people who need something and who recognize that. And so the heart of the gospel is that no matter how awkward you feel, no matter how undeserving you feel of this life of feasting with God, God wants you and God includes you and God chooses you as his companion. Because if you go all the way back to the beginning of the story, the point is God has created us to feast with him. That's what we're made for. That's that's who I am. I am I'm made to be a companion, and so are you. And um, yet some of us choose or think that life isn't about that. We think that feasting without God is better. It's the reason why Jesus told us the uh, parable of the two sons or the prodigal son. You've got this prodigal son who goes off and he thinks feasting the way that he wants is best without God, without his father. And uh, then eventually finds out that uh, feasting with the Father is better and that the Father is ready to receive him back and to feast together. This is the movement of journeying with Jesus, that he's ready, always ready to welcome you into feasting with God and as God's companion. And I think it's important to point out, that, out though, that uh, accepting that invitation to be God's companion isn't just a once-and-done kind of thing. Um, there, there is this generative moment called conversion where you go from being God's enemy to being God's friend. But at least for me, the way that I experience this, there's a daily rhythm of recognizing identity and receiving God's companionship for this day. Waking up and asking questions like, how does the shift in my identity from lost individual to God's companion change today? Change my perspective on today? Like, how does the good news that God has found me and included me in his story affect my priorities in this day? Where am I allowing time and space to enjoy being with God? How can I allow myself the joy of feasting off his word and any other gift that he sends my way? 
What I'm getting at is at the most basic level, when you talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus and inhabit his mission, it starts with the simple fact of receiving companionship with God, of journeying with God as his companion, as someone who gets to be with God and feast with him. And then out of that, and at the same time, we then long to be a companion to others as God has offered companionship to us, to love our neighbors in the same way that we have been loved. And so if Jesus dined with the lost before dying for the lost, if he committed to be with them in that way before doing anything for them, how should that impact our mission? How can we inhabit that same mission together? I love how Tim Chester talks about it in his book. Our featured resource for the, for the series is his book called A Meal with Jesus. It's a wonderful book, and he writes this about thinking about our own mission. If I pull down books on mission and church planting from my shelves, I can read about contextualization, evangelism matrices, postmodern apologetics, cultural hermeneutics. I can look at diagrams that, you know, I like this stuff. You can look at diagrams that tell how people can be converted or discover the steps required to plant a church. It all sounds really impressive, cutting edge and sophisticated, but this is how Luke describes Jesus's mission strategy. Son of man came eating and drinking. So, how do we inhabit that mission? It's not hard. You dine with people. You be with people over a meal. That's where it starts. And that's where it ends. So like I said at the beginning, we've got two main goals in this series. One, understand Jesus and his mission. Two, inhabit that mission together. And so to help us to do that, why don't you take out this card? should be on your seat. There should be one next to you. If you can't find one, raise your hand. We'll get one to you. This is how we're going to practice the mission together over these two months. Uh, so the card lays out the nine meals that we're going to explore together. These are based on the nine meals of Jesus. And so you have this card so you can take it home, and you can stick this on your fridge or somewhere where you're going to see it, uh, and, and you're going to make a plan for yourself or with your family and friends to practice all of these meals together. And some of you are going to be able to do that each on each designated week, kind of like it's laid out here. But I know this is vacation season and, and travel and such, so it, you don't necessarily need to, to try the meal on each designated week. The point is that by the end of July, as a community, we will have tried out these nine things. And actually, it's really seven things on your own, two together. Uh, and so... Seven ways over the next nine weeks for you to practice the mission of Jesus through your meals. And, of course, the, the desire is we would experience more of God through this process. That we would try on the mission of God through our meals and perhaps discover its power to transform us and to transform our neighbors and our family. Um, so if you're, uh, if you're just listening to the audio or if for some reason you lose this card... This is always going to be on our skinny as well, or just go to the website. You'll find it. You can download it. You can have it on your, um, your device. But for this week, look at our prompt for the week. This comes out of Jesus' remarkable ability to include those who feel unwelcome or outside of the story. So the prompt is include someone. 
Right? Invite someone over for a meal who does not share your faith commitment or way of life and pull out the stops to make them feel welcome. So this could be a neighbor on your street, could be somebody that you work with, could be somebody you work out with, could be someone you're just starting to get to know. But the invitation is to include them and to really make them feel welcome. So as we move through this series, uh, I'm excited to hear about your experiences. I'm excited to, to see them too, perhaps. So we've got the, the handle, uh, hashtag common tables. You can track your experiences there. But I, I want to just give you one word of, of encouragement, I guess, as we lean into this. Some of you don't host people very often uh, because life is busy. I get that. Uh, sometimes it's because of fear, like my place isn't good enough or whatever. That is not the point. Just let me say, like, the point is not to make Instagram-worthy meals in this series. Uh, it is to just be with people over food, okay? So if it means you got to go out to do it, then do that. Um, I always think hospitality in the home is, is uniquely beautiful. There's something that happens in our souls when, that, when we experience that. But if there are any barriers, please... Um, remove them and just practice this how God would lead you to practice it. Uh, and, and along those lines, uh, another really great book on this topic is called Eat with Joy by Rachel Marine Stone. And she says, uh, Martha Stewart and the Food Network, money-making machines that they are, are always trying to persuade you that you have to put on a show for your guests and that you need whatever it is that they're selling to do that. But what you could do is simply start with what you already know how to cook on an ordinary weeknight and invite some people over to share this very ordinary meal with you. The point is not to impress. The goal is to love your neighbor and breaking bread together, and practicing hospitality is just that, practicing. Okay, so receive that encouragement and know that there's not one way of doing this um, and that it's really just meant to be ordinary. So we've got this opportunity to experience meals together. Perhaps that's in your home. Another regular opportunity that we have to show hospitality and to experience God's hospitality is the common meal of communion. And we get to do that today, several times in this series, of course. Um, and, and this is beautiful because the, the, the tradition of communion traces back to Jesus' final meal with his friends before he died. It was the Passover meal. And so they were gathering to remember what God had done to make them his companions, the exodus. And then the ongoing work of God throughout history to solidify this relationship. They were celebrating that. And in that context, Jesus breaks bread and he pours wine and he says, this is my body and this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. What he's doing is, is he's reminding them of what his mission is, what he came to do, which is to embody God and his love for us and to enable us to be God's companions. That's what it's all about. So this is a meal of, of celebration. Um, it's, it's also a meal of recognition of, of ways that our lives don't align with companionship with God. And so it's this, it's this little meal to remind us over and over again that we would be lost without God. We'd be lost without God. But God finds us. He takes us in. He shares himself with us. And invites us to feast with him forever. We're going to do this today in, in lines. And so we're going to form lines down these aisles. There's going to be stations here. You can take the piece of the bread first. 
dip it in the cup and eat it as you go back to your seats. There will be a gluten-free station up here as well, so you can just bypass and head up there if you need that. But I would encourage you, as you're, you're waiting in your seats or you're waiting in line, uh, first of all, to remember this is a meal for anyone who can recognize that they were lost and God found them. There are very few requirements for this. And a willingness to rely on God to live that out. And so it could be an opportunity for you just to sit with how amazing it is that God has included you. Or it could be a time to confess any patterns or relationships in your life that don't match your identity as God's companion. And to do something about that now. To ask someone for repentance in this room. Or for forgiveness in this room. Um, So use this space and use this time as God leads you to use it in awe and in humility and in repentance. And come ready to taste and to see that God is good, that he is for you, and that he wants you to be his companion. So as the servers come up, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll dive into this together. God, thank you for showing us in Jesus just how much you love us and, and what you're all about, that you are about uniting all things to you, which includes us. You want us to be your companions and journey with you and feast with you. Thank you for loving the people that a lot of folks thought were unlovable, yeah, the outcasts and the, the, the sinners and the outsiders. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving us. And um, thank you for inviting us into this feast. Thank you that for anyone who doesn't feel included, there's always space here for them. But you want to show them hospitality, especially you want to be gracious to them. I ask for those who don't feel welcome or included that you would give them extra grace, extra peace. And for anyone who who proudly takes for granted what you offer, uh, God, humble us and help us recognize how big it really is and give us a renewed sense for your grace. So wherever we are, I ask you to help us find joy in this feasting um, and and may this be a time of delight as well as great humility as we approach uh, this reality of feasting with you. And may we be filled with gratitude and be quick to repent in the name of your Son, Jesus. Don't leave here. If God is stirring something in you and you feel like you need to sit with that some more or talk to somebody about it or pray, that's why we have a prayer room. We really encourage you to use it, whether just to be by yourself or to pray with somebody. And then pray throughout the week with us as we pray for our city, um, as we pray for each other. And you can let us know prayer requests at any time. Prayer at warehouse242.org. Let's stand up and I'll send us out. I've chosen Jesus' words to the church from Revelation 3. And this is what Jesus says to us every day. And this is the invitation. Receive it. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So may you hear the voice of Jesus. May you be led by his spirit 
into a life of feasting with the Father. No matter where you are currently, God wants to feast with you. So go in grace. Thanks for listening to the Warehouse 242 podcast. If you have any questions or want to find out more about Warehouse, visit warehouse242.org. Come join us on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 2307 Wilkinson Boulevard in Charlotte. Thanks for listening.